Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, folks, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's podcast, we welcome special guests, Sean Harper, co-founder and CEO of Kin, and Matt Higgins, chairman and CEO of Omnichannel Acquisition. Kin Insurance is an insurance technology company that makes home insurance easy and affordable. It recently announced a $1 billion merger with Omnichannel Acquisition. On the show, Sean and Matt discuss the thesis behind the founding of Kin, Kin's value proposition, competitors, and why DTC is a fundamentally better business model, how the merger between Kin and Omnichannel came together, why investors should consider Kin stock, and more. Point of disclosure, we are long Omnichannel shares and warrants in the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF. So with no further ado, here's our discussion with Kin CEO, Sean Harper, and Omnichannel Acquisition CEO, Matt Higgins. All right, welcoming Sean and Matt to the podcast today, talking about Kin and Omnichannel, recently announced a merger and going public transaction. Sean, I wanted to kick things off, getting into the background of the company. You've co-founded Kin Insurance in 2016. Before that, you had stints at Groupon, Boston Consulting Group, a couple entrepreneurial ventures. Ultimately, what did you see as the opportunity when founding Kin? So I, I got hooked on financial services when I was working at BCG. And the thing I loved about it was it's actually software. Right. Right? Like if you look inside of a bank or insurance company, they're actually software companies, no physical thing that they're giving you. Right. So it should all be done on a computer <laughs> and, and you should get the efficiencies of it. And these companies should be amazing at software, but a lot of the times they're not right. Like if you go and you walk around a big insurance company, you'll actually run into a lot of brilliant people, actuaries, business people, whatever. And they're all kind of pissed that their software, right? Because all the cool stuff they want to do, they can't do it because they're running on these like horrible legacy software systems and they're just buried under technical debt. And that's something I saw a lot firsthand at at BCG when I was working with some of these big insurance companies, big banks, big credit card companies, et cetera. And so the first business that I started was a payment processing business. And that was was, was more than 10 years ago now. And the same deal, right? This is a business, this is a virtual product that was basically sold door to door by physical salespeople at the time, right? This is in 2010. And uh, this was before Square, before Stripe, PayPal, before PayPal sort of had its resurgence. And I was like, man, I can do this better. <laughs> so my team and I, we had this company, Fee Fighters. We basically built something that's very similar to Stripe. So it was API driven, instant underwriting payments business. We sold it to Groupon. It was a good exit for us. I think in retrospect, sold way too early, given how hot that space became. And we did a we did a payments product that was very similar to Square within Groupon. So I got to do that for three years. And I kicked out. I was just looking to do it again. And I was looking for a, a large homogenous market, one that was inefficient from a cost perspective, and one where there were new variables available for pricing and underwriting. And we took a year, right? Because we had just sold our company. We had some time to, to look around. And we looked at everything. 
we looked at stuff, a lot of stuff in payments and lending and, and eventually in insurance. We just found homeowners insurance meets those criteria really, really well. It's a $100 billion market just in the U.S. It's growing. Not going to go away. <laughs> like If you own a house and you have a mortgage, you have to have homeowners insurance. Yeah. Incredibly inefficient from a cost perspective. This is a business where the cost of the product has doubled in the last 20 years. You can't find another financial product like that. The cost of every other financial product is going down because it's getting automated. So why is this Why is this the opposite? It doesn't make any sense. And then finally, there's a lot of new data available for pricing and underwriting. All you have to do is type your address into a public search engine. You can see that, right? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And so far, it's working. You know, more or less, we've stuck to our, our original investment thesis, and the customers love it. And we're able to do this at really high quality and low cost. We've been growing really fast. And so before we get into a little bit more about Kin, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and the thesis behind Omnichannel acquisition? Yeah. So uh, I uh, am an operator at heart in my DNA. Uh, my, I've had a bunch of different careers, starting government, uh, but helped oversee the rebuilding of the World Trade Center uh, soon after 9-11 as the COO and transitioned to sports, helped oversee two NFL teams. And my passion is supporting entrepreneurs whether that's helping build businesses from scratch or playing some role in the journey, uh, particularly in consumer. Uh, my, my partner is Stephen Ross, the founder of Related. And we have a rather large uh, consumer portfolio of great brands. And over time, within that portfolio, we started focusing more and more on digitally fueled businesses, particularly direct-to-consumer. Probably have 100 different investments across the gamut. And I took that expertise uh, about what it takes to scale a DTC business and brought that to Harvard Business School where I co-teach the course on the subject called Moving Beyond uh, DTC. So I'm really passionate about digitally fueled businesses, more so obviously now coming out of the pandemic where you had you know five plus years of e-commerce adoption compressed into 18 months, which is just radically transforming all sorts of different businesses. The vision for the SPAC uh, a few different uh, areas, but one in particular, there's a McKinsey study that came out last November. Uh, I encourage everyone to go look it up. It's called uh, Earning the Operator Premium. And what it identified is that there's a cohort of SPACs where uh, they're operator-led and they outperform uh, not just their cohort, but also the S&P uh, within that sector. And they wanted to figure out why is that the case? And the reason fewfold that they identified, one is operators tend to stick to what they know. And they tend to diligence what they know. And because they know the subject matter, they're able to pull in experts and figure out, let me get to the bottom of it. And they uh, tend to want to create value by sticking along for the ride uh, from a governance standpoint. So really interesting study. And my vision was, um, why don't I focus on the DTC sector, put together a team of amazing operators that no company could rent. You know, these aren't people that you hire for consultants. And I worked on it for quite a while, assembling what I call a team of consumer avengers. You know, some of them are my partners like Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, we own together VaynerMedia, probably the largest social media digital first country, uh, company in the country. Different founders, uh, like the founder of Bowlin Branch. Great brand builders like Bobby Brown, who's been at it for 30 years, or uh, and public company experts like uh, like this former CEO of Pepsi, Al Carey. So that was the vision. And then in terms of what I want to focus on is a digitally fueled business operating within a change-resistant industry and a massive TAM looking to be disrupted with a great founder, great team, uh, um, great management team. 
that was open to what the value we could bring. Because I, I would always see a common theme play out with DTC businesses when they're looking to scale. Uh, sometimes they're born of like a, a growth hacker who's got a great you know, uh, conversion mechanism to figure out how to acquire customers. But when you try to build a brand, it gets a little bit harder. There's these certain areas where I always feel like we could create value. And that's what we we're looking for. We did a pretty extensive search I looked at it. I encourage everyone listening right now to look at the S4. We outline it and a lot of detail about what we looked at. And we landed on Ken. And I'll just get to a couple of the reasons that I'm passionate about Ken. Homeowners insurance obviously is a massive TAM. But when you drill down into the numbers, which are in the uh, uh, pipe deck, the CAC to LTV ratio is 7.9. And in my experience at HBS and investing, you know, anything three and over is great. Uh, anything below that's kind of in trouble. You know, two or under, you're on the way to having an unsustainable business. 7.9 is unheard of. And what that told me is that this is how insurance should be sold. It's the modern day equivalent of having to go to like a strip mall to buy an NFT, like selling a virtual product uh, via, uh, you know, a, a strip mall does not make any sense. And then when I started spending time with Sean, one of my first questions, what's the average age of your customer? I'm sure everyone listening right now probably presumes early adopter millennial, you know, his answer was 57 years old. So that really struck me, you know, if we needed any more data that this is how insurance should be sold. Uh, and we worked long and hard to arrive at a deal. And I, I couldn't be more passionate about Ken. That is a great introduction into the business model. Sean, I did want to get into the weeds on how the company works. Ken is described as the only pure play, direct-to-consumer, digital insurer focused on the complex and growing $100 billion-plus homeowners insurance market. Can you tell us about Kin's value proposition? Yeah, of course. Um, so people choose Kin. They choose Kin for three reasons. They choose it because it's easy and fast. And nobody wants to think about insurance. <laughs> like it's the last thing you want to think about. So you got to be easy and fast. Um, and we're also, because we have a low cost structure, we're affordable. So that's the second reason. People choose Kin because they save money. The third reason why people choose Kin, and they don't realize this is happening, obviously, is we're really good at targeting customers specifically and marketing to them, ones that we think will be good insurance customers and who are likely to convert. And this is a huge weapon because if you think about the way that traditional insurance companies sell, they sell via these agents. There's like more agencies than there are fast food restaurants in the U.S. It's, it's a, there's a huge number of them. And so they do, they do television ads and they appoint agents. And those agents usually don't even work for the insurance company. These are freelancers, basically. They're, they're independent companies. And so it's a super untargeted, right? And so all of this money is wasted on customers that the insurance company doesn't even want. So what we do is totally different. We actually take, we ingest all of this data proactively. We run it through pre-underwrite, you know, all of the customers with their geographies. And then we're specifically sending out ads and bidding on the traffic and doing direct mail and buying clicks and buying leads, et cetera, et cetera, just to get exactly the right customers. So that's, that's why people choose Ken. And in terms of competitors and when customers yeah. are choosing an insurance company, who are you worried about in the market? Who are you taking market share from? So, in, so this is a huge market, right? And the, re the reality is, even though we're growing pretty fast, we're growing very fast, uh, we'll do all, about $100 million of premiums this year. And that's in a $100 billion market. So we're just, we're like tiny. Uh, and, and, and so if you think about who we're competing against, there are big legacy insurance companies that people have heard of, like State Farm and Allstate are two really big property insurance companies. Yeah. And then there's a huge ecosystem of these smaller insurance companies. And some of them are big, but you've never heard of them before. Uh, they just don't have a brand name. And they sell mainly through these independent agents who don't 
you know, they're, they're just, you might know who your agent is, but you actually don't even really know who the insurance company is. And so that's really who we're competing against. These are companies that our average competitor is 107 years old. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And, um, and these are the guys we're competing against. So, so we, we think we have a better mousetrap because we're direct to consumer, which saves us a lot of money. So you don't have to pay those agents. They're expensive. They cost about 17% of the premium ongoing. Okay. We also keep our customers longer. We keep 92% of our customers from one year to the next. In an industry, and homeowners is pretty sticky. So the, the industry norm is like 85 for homeowners. So we're, we're better than that. It's because that agent is in and they're switching. And then third, because we can use the customer acquisition as a risk selection tool, kind of like what I was telling you about, and specifically market to, to the customers that are a good match for their portfolio. So we're direct to consumer. We're high tech. You know, I told you about this, but we have lots of people akin who did amazing work at big insurance companies and we're super bummed because they never got to, they never got, it never saw the light of day. Right. right. So like our, our head of data science is a great example of this brilliant guy worked for 15 years at a big insurance company, never, never got anything done. And so my value prop to him was, Hey, you can sit right next to the engineering team and we have zero technical or much less technical debt than these companies have been around for a long time. And they'll just make what you tell them. And he's like, yeah, rock and roll. This is great. So, so those are two really big advantages we have over these over these legacy competitors, and you know, it's it is a it, it's an industry I think has a lot of room for competition. So, if you think about sort of newish companies that are going after things near us, um, there are two other tech companies. There's one called Lemonade, right? And they do renters insurance, and they're trying to get into homeowners insurance now. And then there's another one called Hippo, and Hippo also does homeowners insurance. The biggest difference between us and Hippo is that Hippo mainly sells through those legacy agents hmm. versus we're directing consumer business. Uh, but it's a huge industry, right? Like I think there could be 20 companies like ours in this space, you know, let alone three, uh, just given how big it is. And frankly, I'm surprised hmm. there isn't. And I think the best explanation for why there aren't more tech companies going after this, more startups, is it's just a very hard industry to enter. There's a lot of regulatory red tape. It requires a lot of capital. It requires a lot of industry-specific know-how. And it's just, it's just hard to get started. So when reaching your customer and your success thus far, are you telling me that customers generally don't find value in that agent model? Or you can cut out enough of that cost premium that is just much more attractive with a lower cost model? No, yeah. So, so we provide a better customer experience than the agents do. Okay. And, and one thing a lot of people don't realize about Ken is because, because homes are complicated, right? And it's like most people's biggest asset. Yeah. They do have questions. <laughs> and so about 15% of our customers will go all the way through the app, through the online experience. And they're just like, I know exactly what I want. Boom, 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 boom. And they're good. But the other 85, they actually interact with us some way or another. And you'll see this. You should go check out the Ken online reviews because they're really good. And you'll see customers saying, I saved money. You'll see customers saying it was really easy. You know, I was able to buy it from my car after I put an offer in on a home. And then you'll also see people saying, I really love talking to Kate because she was so helpful and so knowledgeable. And Kate is a kin employee. And so unlike the traditional agents who are sort of outside companies, they're like entrepreneurs who are running a business of their own out of a, out of a mall somewhere. Ours are, you know, trained specifically for kin. And they don't need to do all this other. They don't need to worry about running a small business or getting customers. They're just there to help. And our customers really like that too. So, you know, from, from our perspective, we think we deliver a better value proposition on all fronts, including human advice, than sort of the old model does, and at a much lower cost. 
And now, a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest-growing alternative investment solution providers, with a suite of institutional-caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. That makes sense. I mean, just less transactional by nature. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the technology that you're utilizing to minimize your insurance claims and overall reduce risk and bring down that loss ratio? Absolutely. So the two, there, there's really two big pieces of technology that we have. And the first is um, at the core of every, at the center of every insurance company is this core processing system or policy administration system or PADS, they call it. And for most companies, most insurance companies, this is something that's, you know, really old, really old software or software that they bought from a vendor and they don't really control. So that's one thing that we have. We have a very cutting edge policy admin system and it allows us to do things in days or weeks that it would take traditional insurance company years to do. Um, and this is something, right, we've been doing financial services stuff for a long time. So building this insurance is something we're used to doing. And then the other set, and actually I'll just talk, the things the policy admin system would do are apply underwriting rules, calculate prices, take in claims, handle accounting and billing, et cetera. So sort of the day-to-day stuff. And then we've also built up this really significant data infrastructure and so what we're doing is we're actually ingesting create, I mean, gigabytes worth and creating gigabytes worth of um, structured data about the physical homes. Because that's really the risk that we're insuring. Is we're insuring the fact that the, the risk that something bad is going to happen, usually weather-related, to a, a home. And, ho- and, and what makes this hard is all these homes are different. You and I could be next-door neighbors and have totally different risk profiles because our homes are built differently. And every home is, is bespoke. So we're just pulling in all of this data. Uh, we have a model that understands which of these data sources to trust when and where. We have a lot of machine learning that's pulling out structured data from unstructured data, like images and documents about the home and text files about the home, et cetera. And that's, that's a huge part of our secret sauce. It's just this data infrastructure. It's, it's, it's pretty hard to build. It's also something you get better at over time and uh, is very hard to replicate. Absolutely. And so as well, how does the relationship with your reciprocal carrier work? That I thought that was an interesting um, structure that you've set up, set this up as. And, and whether that's actually just the norm in insurance or if this is something that's a completely different structure than more insurers. It's, it's a little bit unusual and it's very beneficial. So I'll start by giving the background. Reciprocal exchanges have been around forever and it's about 6% of personal lines insurance in the U.S. is done by reciprocal exchanges. So some of these are big, like Farmers is the biggest reciprocal exchange. People think that Zurich, the Swiss company, owns Farmers. They actually don't. The Farmers policyholders do. And Zurich owns the management company that manages Farmers. So some other big reciprocal exchanges are, there's one called Pure. Uh, There's one called, uh, well, there's one USAA is a company most people know, AAA. Most of the AAA insurance companies are reciprocal exchanges. So it's been around for a long time. And the way it works is there's another entity. For us, it's called the Kin Interinsurance Network. 
which if you're a word geek, you can notice that's a recursive acronym. It says K-I-N. <laughs> um, and uh, they, uh, that is owned by our policyholders. That's the regulated insurance entity that has the credit rating. It holds a cap, it holds capital on its balance sheet to support the risk that it's underwriting. And then we manage that. So Kin, the tech company that investors are investing in, like Matt, for example, that's actually just the management company. And so it's really beneficial because for the investors, they're actually not directly exposed to the weather risk. Because our investors are, for the most part, people are interested in owning a tech company. And that's what we are. We're super high tech. And our revenue model looks a lot like a software company because we're getting this 32% management fee. We get it every single year. It's super stable. It basically looks like a SaaS business. And then over here, we have a reciprocal exchange. And that is, you know, sort of piling together all of this risk and insulating the shareholders from the ups and downs. And then on top of the reciprocal exchange, we buy lots and lots and lots of reinsurance. And so the goal, because it's it's small, right? And our policyholders don't want to be exposed to the the volatility of a hurricane hitting or something like that. So we we reinsure that with 42 of the you know best big name, globally diversified reinsurance companies. And we sort of outsource a lot of the balance sheet of the reciprocal to them by buying all this reinsurance. Um, for the customers, it's really nice because it creates an alignment of interest. Because we actually never need to think about, oh, should I pay this claim to the customer? Like that's coming out of my pocket. It's not. It's not coming out of my pocket. It's coming out of their pocket. So I, I think it aligns interest in a good way. And if there's money left over, then it actually goes back to the policyholders either through lower rates or sometimes reciprocal exchanges will actually return money back to the customers. So it's a little bit complicated, but one thing I've learned, you know, I've been doing financial services now for like 20 years is it's not just about the tech. It's not just about the value prop. You also need to have the right financial structure. And this is a really, really good financial structure just all around. Right. And talking about another financial structure Mm -hmm. is your recently announced going public transaction combining with SPAC omni-channel acquisition this values the business at an enterprise value of about $1 billion. Can you talk to us about what you hope to accomplish from this deal and discuss some of your growth plans? Absolutely. We're, we're very systematic and kind of conservative at Kent. And so one thing we really were careful to do, um, first of all, because our investors demanded it and also just how we roll, is not to try and scale it prematurely. Right. And so we spent the last five years coming up with a value proposition that works and coming up with a unit economics equation that's very good. And so now we're at a point where every dollar you put into Kin is you know, able to get a high and predictable return. So what do, you, what do you do then? Okay, well, you try and do that as much as you possibly can, right? And so for us, we were like, okay, cool. Now we should go public. We should raise a lot more money. And we should just pour gas, on, pour gas into this engine that's working incredibly well. And, and so that's, that's why we wanted to go public. You know, I, I think there's, uh, you know, it's, it's going to help us grow faster. And, uh, you know, it was, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. And the SPAC merger with Matt and his crew got us really excited about it because they can help us in a way that we really actually really benefit from. And, you know, we're, we've always been these sort of like conservative, by the numbers, keep our heads down, guys. We've never really focused on building the brand. And now that we're getting bigger and we want to capitalize on this opportunity in the right way, building the right brand is really, really important. And uh, Matt and, and everyone he has involved are really amazing at that. And it's, it's already you know, paying off in a bunch of different ways that we can talk about. Yeah, it's nice having you both on the show because I can put you on the spot. So Sean, first, why was 
Omnichannel, the ideal SPAC partner, and how did this deal come together? So it was just because of that. I mean, they were right. You know, we, we looked at it. We talked to a bunch of different SPACs. Uh, we also considered doing it the other way without a SPAC. Right. And, you know, Matt's passion and sort of like, you know, we, we have a very similar way of thinking about things. And so it was, it was, it was sort of obvious and intuitive to me that this was a good partnership. And then you got into sort of the details of it. It's like, wait, Florida is the biggest insurance market in the U.S. for homeowners insurance. And Matt has amazing connectivity in Florida that he'll talk about in a minute. We needed help building a brand and really juicing up the marketing. Matt literally teaches the course on that at Harvard. And so it just all came together. And, uh, you know, a customer acquisition, we talked about this earlier, customer acquisition is a really, really big, important part of insurance. And so it's, it's essential that we be good at that, especially as a direct-to-consumer business. Right. And Matt, from your perspective, earlier in the show, you mentioned a, cu- a few key sort of quantitative and qualitative metrics that attracted you to KIN being the very high LTV to CAC ratio, total addressable market, very strong and experienced management team. Were there any other things that stood out specifically in KIN that made them the ideal merger partner for Omnichannel? Yeah, I think um, big picture, uh, looking at e-commerce, e-commerce companies tend to go through the same general cycle as e-com penetrates a new industry and insure tech is no different. So what is that cycle? You know, phase one, there's excitement that there's a new way of doing business and the focus from investors, whether it's VC, public markets is on growth, growth, growth at all costs, right? That's phase one. And then the second phase is understanding that actually acquisition costs really matter and unit economics really matter. And there begins to become a, a period of disillusionment and then separation. And then the winners begin to emerge. I think we're going through something similar in InsureTech. And it's uh, actually will accelerate with a wave of excitement that here's this massive industry that's ready to be disrupted. One of the late ones to, the, to, to embrace you know, technology. And then so the focus is on growth and, and, and valuing things based on growth. And then the uh, a realization that just because it's called InsureTech doesn't mean it defies the, the laws of the universe around e-commerce, which is acquisition, is really important. And in particular, what is you know gross profit unit economics in another context and CPG in the case of InsureTech is loss ratio, right? And so what I found exciting about Ken to get to the point is Sean and his team have kept their head down and built the stake without the sizzle. It's really hard to launch an insurance company. You have to be a certain kind of person to want to do it. It's not like going on Amazon and trying to sell an Allbirds knockoff. You know, it takes a lot of a lot of curation, a lot of expertise. And so the fact that um, many people hadn't heard of Kim before, to me, was sort of an asset because it told me how Sean had used his time. And then when I looked at the unit economics, say, wait, let me, let, me, let me get this straight. You're operating in the most challenging environments, which will soon be planet Earth, right? Because in 10 years, there'll be nowhere to run from climate change. You're navigating within that environment. You've made a substantive choice, which is counterintuitive, which is to go right into the eye of the storm, per se, and figure out how to master that ability. So you're future proof, you know, not proof, obviously, but you're ready to adapt. Um, you've got the CAC to LTV ratio down, which tells me you're running this performance marketing engine. So you don't have you don't have the brand halo. Well, we know how to do that. We were built to do that. And frankly, I'd much rather start with the substance, the infrastructure, the conversion. So here's the the vision, the opportunity we saw is Sean, let's partner up. I'll bring in our team. We'll we'll make a special focus on Florida. Florida is a $14 billion home insurance TAM, somewhere between 10 and 14, massive unto itself. Uh, my partner, Steve Ross, owner of the Dolphins, I'm vice chair of the team. We have very deep tentacles. 
Let's obviously go deeper into Florida. Let's build a brand. Let's do some things that might, you know, come right up against your comfort level. And it turns out that that's not actually true. Sean is really very creative and dynamic. For somebody who's got an MBA and a degree in computer science, I'm always uh, amazed. But he had some really great ideas. All we did was bring them to life uh, through a campaign that we're running right now called Florida Man. If everybody wants to see what the vision of this SPAC is, go onto YouTube, type in Florida Man Ken, and watch that seven-minute video, and you'll see what we're talking about. So. Net net, what got excited just to wrap it all up is insure tech is going to be evaluated like every other industry, and unit economics matter. Ken has the best, and there was this one area where I felt like they could use my help, and we work on it day and night. If you look at that Florida man, it's easy to realize how long that took to produce. We've been working on this for a couple months together with the faith that this agreement will get done, the, the, uh, the combination will get signed. So there's a degree of faith implicit in our relationship. And I, I hope when all is said and done, people will realize SPAC, when structured correctly, can be dramatically value-added, more so than a typical underwriting process, because as long as you have a team of experts and operators, look what we can create together. And Matt, as a, a veteran of the Shark Tank TV show, I was going to ask you to kind of make the pitch to the sharks about Kin, but you basically just did that. So thanks for driving home the point on why investors should consider this I'm stock. Anybody right now? It's unnatural. There's no Kevin O'Leary right next to me. <laughs> I would have won that deal though. I, no, no, I, I would have beat out everybody else. That's good. I should be competitive. <laughs> so so to that point, by the way, I believe this too. The best decisions are relative decisions. So when you're evaluating a SPAC. It's very clear to evaluate the management team to see if they have differentiated deal flow, because if you are only presented what the bank brings you, that's a whole different fact pattern. So in the Shark Tank context, one of the things you're always doing is making the case, what do you bring in order to win that deal? I think that's important in the SPAC context to understand what the management team's experience is within that sector, because that's what's going to determine, one, um, proprietary or unique deal flow, two, capacity to uh, diligence. Yeah, that's great. And so you mentioned a number of uh, homework items that investors should take a look at, whether it be the McKinsey study, the video on YouTube, uh, this company Kin uh, currently trading under, well, the SPAC Omnichannel OCA. Once the deal closes, trading under symbol KI expected to close in Q4. So I'd like to thank you guys for joining us on the show today. Wish you the best of luck. And uh, we're going to see how this plays out. Looks like you have a ton of growth ahead of you. So it'll be really exciting to watch. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.